0: their friends family foes and of course lurkers alike welcome to an episode of truth spresso as we attempt to end our little series answering the question who are those nephilim anyway and so here to end that series and hopefully have some kind of decent resolution to this we shall see Is my sweet, beautiful wife and co host, Chelsea. Thank you for doing this again with me, sweetheart.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to hear this finale. I'm sure our listeners have been waiting all week to tune in and see what we conclude with this discussion we've had about who the Nephilim are.
0: And so, if you are just tuning into this episode, You really need to rewind a few weeks and listen to the whole series of episodes on who are the Nephilim anyway and hear all the theories. Because, you know, why should you listen to the good part where we try to give our own theory without hearing what all the other theories out there say? But, hey, if you want to do that, no one's going to stop you. But we highly recommend hearing the whole series
1: so are you going to explain your theory or your conclusion right away or are we going to wait a little bit until <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, let's see. So what I'd like to say is that after studying and presenting three theories about the sons of God, the daughters of men, and the Nephilim, those three theories were the fallen angel theory, the Sethite theory, and the wicked rulers theory, do I believe that we've settled the debate with some of the ideas that we might come up with here? Well, I'm going to have to say no, an emphatic no, I think getting to know this information a little bit more, it's like, hey, I have more ideas and more understanding about all these theories. But at the same time, we're going to present our best attempt to understand the scripture here and present a workable theory. Now, would I take this theory into a debate to say, this is what these verses must mean. I am so certain of this that I would be willing to debate it no (laughs) an emphatic no so that's not a purpose with this episode i haven't arrived i would just like to present a minic theory so do i have any certainty even now after studying those theories about who the sons of god the daughters of men and the nephilim are i will say not at all (laughs)
1: how does that saying go like as clear as mud (laughs) keep researching and learning more and studying these different theories looking at the scripture and you feel like the more you look into it the more questions you have i mean it's been really interesting to learn more about this and see how all the pieces kind of fit together or don't fit together and learning about these different theories that are out there Because I think a lot of times we hear just one theory and that's kind of what we just go along with. So hearing that there's different thoughts out there about this helps sharpen our mind and helps us understand God's word better. So anytime you can get into God's word and study it and try to learn more about it and understand it, that's always going to be for our good.
0: Good advice there, sweetheart, and I would say that the Bible scholars out there I'll leave the certainty to them, and as a layperson myself, I'll stick with some uncertainty. But, that's not to say that we haven't tried our best to figure out something that we want to present in this episode. And so, to present to you the Minic Theory is in essence to take what we might like from these theories what makes sense and to try to come up with a theory that might make pieces of the other three theories work together in harmony into one workable theory so the fallen angel sethite wicked ruler theory (laughs) (laughs) And so I'd like to start with reading some scriptures just to see what did Jesus say about what was going on in the days of Noah. And he seemed to compare it to what was going on in the time of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. We mentioned in the fallen angels theory that Second Peter and Jude both talked about Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah and compared them to kind of come up with that theory. But I think there's something we can grasp from what Jesus says about comparing those two, maybe to start off with some assumptions there. So Luke 17, verses 26 through 30, this is one of the gospel accounts where Jesus says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, I don't see anything where he mentions angels and stuff like that here. He also then says, Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So Jesus is saying that at the time when he comes back, there's going to be a lot of wickedness because we know that when Jesus returns, I know the Apostle Paul mentions in 2 Thessalonians 1 about inflaming fire, taking vengeance on those that obey not the gospel. And we also have in 2 Peter 3 talking about just like the flood when jesus comes as a thief in the night he's bringing judgment by fire and so jesus saying this going to be similar wickedness when he returns as it was in the days of noah but then also compares that with the days of lot and how does he compare what was going on at that time i mean jesus mentioned in the days of noah they married wives they were given in marriage and He doesn't seem to mention like angels. He's talking about people. But at the time of Lot, do we have any account, any theories that people give about Nephilim or angels marrying humans and stuff at the time of Lot? I haven't seen any in the Bible, but Jesus says likewise also. So we know there's a parallel there. And what do we know about Sodom and Gomorrah? What was one of their problems?
1: and well, just their wicked behavior with one another. And to me, it was interesting hearing you read these verses and saying how they did eat, they drank, they married. And then likewise in Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, sold, planted. It's <laughs> kind of like they're like, okay, we're just going to be living this sinful, licentious mm. type of lifestyle and just keep going about our daily life our daily routine not even recognizing how they're drifting away from what God has told them to do and it seems like it's almost this hardness of the sin that was going on and almost it seems like that is kind of what impounds the wickedness like they were even convicted that oh maybe we shouldn't do this and go days without with fasting and asking for forgiveness they're like oh no this is the good life this is how we're going to live we're just going to go about our lives thinking nothing of it and so it just seemed like there's just this change of heart and change of mind in those sinful times that he's comparing there and what do we see nowadays We see the same exact thing where people have no conviction or no even thought of what is right and what's wrong and just living however they want to. And we keep almost parading or saying, elevating people that live lifestyles that is totally contradictory to what God's word says. And not only that, I mean, in Sodom and Gomorrah, you don't hear a lot about if they're harming children in those days i would guess that they were yeah just with how that behavior what that can lead to but nowadays you see how it's even okay for children to be affected by i don't know a better word than licentious behavior (laughs) like (laughs) i mean they keep promoting this very promiscuous behavior and it's almost like Okay, you're a hero for doing that. And it's just interesting, like, okay, eventually God is going to judge this because that's exactly what happened with Noah, exactly what happened with Lot, and it says he's going to come again and pour out vengeance again.
0: Like 2 Peter 3 mentions, okay, he destroyed the old world in the flood, then he's going to destroy the current world with fire, you <laughs> know, water and then fire. As I read these verses, I noticed that the things that Jesus listed of what was going on themselves, there's nothing wrong with anything he listed. You know, what's wrong with eating, drinking, getting married, and buying, selling, planting, and building? All of those things he listed, they're technically just what civilizations do. But I think he's painting a picture of people who they're not even aware that judgment's coming. They're not aware that they deserve judgment because we know that there's more things that he didn't list that's inherent there. Like, hey, you know, even though there's all this wickedness, like we know Sodom and Gomorrah had violence. You know, we saw them carry out violence, like trying to break a door down to get at the two men and so on more than quick to enact violence and we know that they had licentiousness as you mentioned and so Jesus is paralleling also the days of Noah with the days of Lot so we know the days of Noah was filled with violence and licentiousness but while all that's going on People don't think anything of that. So they're just eating and drinking and celebrating and buying and selling and planting and building, you know, as if, hey, we're just going to live every day for ourselves. It's like just a secular society that has no moral standards and no God consciousness what we know from these two parallel civilizations, the antediluvian civilization and Sodom and Gomorrah are a lot of violence and a lot of licentiousness. And I see that's a parallel there so we can understand from, from Jesus' perspective on that. It's likely that the wicked rulers who emerged from the empires of Cain's descendants... We talked about in the last episode that Cain's descendants had lots of talent to build up empires. Metallurgy, animal husbandry, music. They were very advanced civilization very quickly. But it's likely that the wicked rulers... Built up the practice of compulsory relationships. So, when we talked about the wicked rulers theory, I think that is definitely true. I mean, once you get these powerful rulers, how could it not be true that they don't fulfill their own desires using their own powers? As the founding fathers of the United States, Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so, yes, as men began to multiply on the face of the earth, as Genesis 6.1 says, that the wicked rulers are going to enrich and help themselves to what they want. And this means that they could take any number of women at any age or status. And as we presented, even the wives of other men. So basically any woman, there is no such thing as a virgin or married woman that wasn't available to the wicked rulers from the line of Cain.
1: I just think of Proverbs when we talk about the wicked rulers. In Proverbs 16:18, it says, Pride goes before destruction in a haughty spirit before a fall, and just how pride just kind of overtakes these people in leadership or as a ruler, and then that pride just begins to corrupt them, and before long, they're going to fall to their either demise or destruction or God coming in and saying, oh, I'm going to destroy you because when you're so prideful and haughty and you think that basically you're God in some ways, then you don't have that room or that humility to recognize who God is. For some reason, I'm just picturing like a cup full of water. There's no room to actually get to the top and look up to who God is because you think you're at the top. So that verse just kind of popped in my head when we're talking about the wicked rulers and how so many of those rulers just had one of those kind of deep-rooted sins of pride
0: yeah for sure and going back to those verses another thing they notice about them when jesus recalled the days of noah and the days of sodom and gomorrah what did he not mention there because what did he seem to be talking about there they're all humans it seems that he's just talking about human beings So, nothing is mentioned of angels and human women producing demigod Nephilim at the time of Lot that we've seen. They certainly had a problem with abominable practices between humans. You know, they're the example. And even Jude mentions that, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah and their destruction, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And they're set forth as an example So the example of judgment upon licentious behavior, they're an example. And yeah, certainly believe that that happened before the flood and was one of the reasons that God judged the antediluvian society. So, I think it wouldn't be that far-fetched to assume even that the practices of Sodom and Gomorrah were also fully represented at the time of Noah. I mean, come on, if you have society that becomes so secular, so wicked, so violent, so licentious why not you know like the language doesn't have to be explicit anyone can do whatever they want and so i would think there would be sodom and gomorrah type sins at that that time too are you just watching
1: when you gather the family around the tv are you prepared to use your biblical worldview to discuss what you see with your spouse and kids it takes a little practice to not just watch Are You Just Watching? The Entertained Christian's Handbook to Consuming Media with Purpose is a guided journal with worldview-shaping info and lots of guided note pages to help you watch and discuss anything you put before your family's eyes. Purchase it now on Amazon.com.
0: And don't just watch. Now the question is, have we really started to get into our theory? while we're talking about wicked rulers. So the sons of God and the daughters of men... Who could they be if we're trying to present a theory that takes from all three, or at least parts from all three of the theories? So, the sons of God, I will suggest, could either be the wicked rulers or the descendants of Seth. I think that both of those are candidates for it. But then the daughters of men, in either of those theories, would likely be Canite peasant women. So whatever the sons of God are, whether they're Canite rulers or whether they're Sethite men, the daughters of men would tend to be Canite peasant women. Whichever of those two theories we want to use to say for the sons of God, I think it's a given that the wicked rulers practiced what the wicked rulers theory teaches. So if the sons of God aren't referring to the wicked rulers, that doesn't discount what that theory teaches. So I think that happened no matter what. So I would propose I think I might lean more toward the sons of God being likely the Sethite patriarchs, the Sethite men who got caught up in Cainite civilization. So I'll take that part of the Sethite view, but leave the wicked rulers view as something that eventually caused that to happen. So, the wicked rulers took wives that they chose, but that might not be what the sons of God are referring to. It, it might be referring to the Sethites, who later on got caught up with marrying the Canaanite women too. And then now, you have a whole world of wickedness. So, regardless of who the sons of God are, in Genesis 6:1 through 4, we know that the Sethites eventually were caught up in the Canaanite society and lifestyle because only Noah and his family remained. You know, it had to happen at some point. So, the situations of both the Sethite theory and the wicked rulers theory have to be true to some extent. <laughs> So, what about the wickedness that was going on at this time? Because the standard wicked rulers theory, from what I've read, seems to pitch, you know, as we mentioned in the last episode, that God judged the world because wicked rulers built up a harem for themselves, and so God was judging them for a kind of compulsory polygamy. This is are do you think is there more more to it than that?
1: I was just thinking through it seems like it's probably like a whole can of worms <laughs> yeah, in that when you think about just even the ten Commandments that we see not committing adultery, not lying, not stealing, not murdering, like not being envious, not having any other gods before God, like you see how you just go down the checklist of that and you see, okay, they're stealing other women. <laughs> So, they're stealing plus committing adultery. They're not honoring their father and mother if they're going against what they were brought up. And as far as, okay, only marry in this people that God told us to. And I just feel like there's so many different parts that because we only see possibly the one part of polygamy. Okay, yeah, that's not good to practice polygamy. But I think there's so many other things going on with that as well. That you can just kind of go down that list of the Ten Commandments and see, oh, wow, yeah, they broke this and they broke this. And, okay, their hearts just turned totally away from God and they're just going after this lifestyle that ignores what God has asked them to do and actually what God created us to do for our own good. And to me, sometimes that just makes me sad when you think about, sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to do what God says because then I feel like I can't do anything and like there will be no fun. I'll just be under strict rules all the time. When you look at it and even just look back at different things that we've done in our lives, you see that God is telling us things to do or not to do for our own good, like to keep us safe or to keep us healthy or to make sure that we don't have as much pain as we could potentially if we're in these times. I talk to a lot of people in my clinic about some of the infections you can get when you are having multiple relationships with other people and just thinking about this, okay, God says to be with one person because that reduces your risk for having all these infections and it's not to put chains on you it's for your protection and so I just think that yeah to me sometimes it's sad to see they've just strayed so much away from what God said and what he wanted for them and he wanted them to be like to have a relationship with him.
0: And you mentioned the Ten Commandments, and I don't think God created those out of whole cloth or whole stone. As it were, when he gave the tablets to Moses, he's telling the Israelites, You are going to be a sanctified people to me, so here are the laws that everyone had known since creation. And unlike the heathen, you will not steal, unlike the heathen, you will not commit adultery. They knew that those were actual moral laws, and so God was going to say, here it is written down, I'm going to hold you accountable for that. So I think that the pre-flood world, the world at the time of Lot, and even today, we're seeing the rise of what you call anarcho-tyranny. Basically a fully secularized society where everyone does what's right in their own eyes, plus wicked rulers who just rule by legal positivism and do not have any form of a consistent standard of justice. That's what things looked like then, and we're seeing kind of a repeat today. But we haven't really talked much about the angels' theory We talked about the wicked rulers and the Sethite theory and how we can understand pieces of that during the time of Noah. But what about the angel theory? So, here's what I suggest in our theory. Perhaps the Genesis account, Genesis chapter 6, simply describes what humans were doing. Just like Jesus said, he's describing what the humans were doing. But then New Testament passages further describe the demonic influence behind the evil actions. So just as God said, I will destroy man whom I have created, it was all human sin against humans, humans being judged for things. But we can see that there could be a role for fallen angels here, but just maybe not quite like the fallen angel theory would propose and so for an example of this as i'm saying genesis just tells us what do you see you see human sin here and new testament passages like second peter 2 and jude seem to be talking about sin that fallen angels did Maybe an example of that could be Genesis chapter 3. Where it says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, but we don't have any background as to why the serpent could talk to Eve and tempt her to sin. Where did that come from? So Genesis 6 could be telling us what humans did, but Second Peter and Jude could be telling us what fallen angels were doing to influence the behavior behind the scenes so genesis 3 1 yeah the serpent was more subtle revelation 12 verse 9 says and the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and satan which deceiveth the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him so revelation could be saying that that old serpent The devil is called the serpent because the devil used the serpent to tempt Eve. And so we just see the serpent in the story in Genesis 3 tempting Eve. But then the New Testament could be telling us, oh, what was Satan doing behind the scenes through the serpent? So likewise, in Genesis 6, we see what were humans doing. And then the New Testament passages could be saying, okay, fallen angels were doing something, they were influencing things behind the scenes to influence humans to do what they did.
1: I think that's like a really neat observation because when we look at some of the problems with angels materializing bodies, (laughs) we don't really see that, I don't know if they have the power to actually create bodies or to transform into material beings.
0: Yeah, we see Paul says that Satan is transformed to an angel of light, but who says that he's creating a body. He can make you see something, but he may not be creating new matter. Yeah, that's a good question. Would the power to create bodies or to transform into material beings really be something that would belong to the power of angels? Yeah, that's a good question there, sweetheart, because... Yeah, if angels could do that, like in the fallen angel theory, where if they had relations directly with humans by somehow creating or materializing a body for themselves creating something that God had not created, creating some kind of thing with which they enclothed themselves that had the power through relations with women to have certain DNA in their offspring, you know, that really kind of makes us raise questions in our minds, because if fallen angels could create bodies for themselves that had genes to create giant superhuman offspring, then what other creative divine power? do they have and yeah because then that can even make us question things like the resurrection of Jesus because I know that the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus materialized a body because they don't believe that the body he died in was the one that Jesus rose from the dead that Michael the archangels recreated and that he materialized something to show to Thomas And so could the Jehovah's Witnesses then be right that Jesus materialized a body as needed to show fake wounds to Thomas? Well, if angels can create, materialize a body, then why couldn't Jesus just materialize something that looked like the body he died in? We could question the resurrection if that were true. Now, I'm not saying that those who hold to the fallen angel theory actually question the resurrection. I'm just saying if that were true, we could jeopardize the integrity of the resurrection.
1: So do we have a better solution?
0: Oh, yeah. So taking some elements from the fallen angel theory, but not presenting that they directly had relations with women or materialized bodies to do so, Perhaps a better solution is demon possession, because demon possession is clearly something we see in the Bible. So, rather than the angels materializing bodies, perhaps they possessed wicked humans, or at least possessed the wicked rulers at first to influence them to engage in abominable practices. So maybe a lot of this licentiousness happened because, well, humans, they certainly can be at fault for this type of stuff. But demons can influence people to take what they might open themselves to doing and push them beyond the limits. And so, hey, if demon possession was involved, then we could still use all of these passages that the fallen angel view uses. So, Second Peter chapter two and Jude verse six, we can still incorporate into our theory and not believe that angels had offspring directly or demigods, because Jude verse six just mentions they kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, and Second Peter two four just says that God did not spare the angels that sinned. Neither of those passages explicitly say what they did wrong other than that they abandoned God's plan for them to be his instruments of praise in heaven. They left it, they abandoned it, and they sinned.
1: I'm not sure where the passage is for this, but I'm recalling that Satan wanted to be like God, and that was part of
0: Uh, uh, Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 and verse 12, yes.
1: So that was part of Satan's fall that he wanted to be like God. And then you see with these fallen angels, if they're influencing men because they're trying to be like, hey, you can be like God, you know, (laughs) become powerful and these rulers and... It just seems like there's kind of that tendency to still try and pursue that first sin of trying to be like God, trying to be the all powerful, (laughs) and even using men who are weak towards wanting to be powerful and
0: <laughs> yeah because as we see from the whole of scripture well the serpent tempted eve and you know it seems that satan possessed or influenced the serpent to do it what did he tell eve you will be like gods knowing good and evil so the fallen angels wanted to go above god and so when god cast them to earth and hey what's their first trick the first couple Let's try to tempt them to want what we wanted, and then, okay, you have the fall, but then you have the lines of Cain and Seth, and they work with the line of Cain, making him violent and licentious, and they become powerful and wealthy, and, hey, give them lust for power to be like gods and to rebel against God. That's what the demons want. Christian, Christian. The Christian Podcast
1: Community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian podcasters proclaiming the truths of, Christ truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much much more.
0: much, much more.
1: So check us out at christianpodcastcommunity.org. christianpodcastcommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts.
0: So now, here's a question. Because the fallen angel view, it seems like most of the proponents of that view believe that there were several rounds of angels falling, because you had the ones at the beginning. Then you had ones um, at the time of Noah and then possibly ones after the time of Noah so whether these angels had fallen at the beginning or if these angels if we're suggesting that angels demon-possessed humans especially wicked rulers to do naughty things if they were a second set of angels that fell by leaving heaven according to Jude verse 6 if they fell by leaving heaven the, the moment they conceived of the sin, the angels that sinned, it's not really clear in the text. But I tend toward the idea that there was one fall, one rebellion against God in which he cast them out of heaven unto earth.
1: I would think it'd be kind of awkward if there was a second fall because they saw what happened to the first sight, that yeah. they got kicked down. To oh, yeah. <laughs> you would think that would keep them from wanting to have that same punishment. But.
0: Yeah, I tend to think that there was one fall, just like there's one fall of man. Now we have falls of civilizations and stuff, God's nation of Israel that would keep falling and stuff, but... Ultimately, I think there was one fall of angels...
1: Well, that's because we have our flesh, <laughs> and we're going to continue to fall until yeah. we have our new incorruptible bodies.
0: So. Yeah, and I read Revelation twelve nine earlier that mentions that Satan, the dragon, the serpent, the devil, deceived the whole world, was cast out onto the earth, and angels are cast out with him. So I think there was one fall; they were cast into earth. But then later, some of those who rebelled committed the heinous sin of possessing proud human rulers to think of themselves as gods, as we mentioned, to feel entitled to anything that satisfies their desires and to breed large and strong beasts and men for war. You know, kind of getting a little ahead there about when we get into talking about Nephilim and stuff. But while humans were willfully corrupted and departed from God's moral law for themselves, these demons were likely trying to win against God by destroying creation. And so I think that the heinous civilization at the time of Noah, I think that the angels that sinned, that left their habitation, now the demons were ultimately cast out of heaven at the beginning but you could think of left their first estate as kind of like absolutely shunning. Like, okay, sure, we rebelled and we're cast out. But now they're saying, I abandon this completely because now we're at war with God. And we're going to sin by possessing people to fight against God here on earth. And so I think, yeah, later on, some of these angels who possessed humans and made them wicked when God wiped out all the humans in the flood except for Noah and his family that this is likely when God cast those demons who were possessing people down to Tartarus as Peter refers to it into chains to await the final judgment. And so how do we reconcile what Peter says? He's not talking about all fallen angels because we know the prince and the power of the air. We see demon possession during the time of the gospels, especially. I don't think they were coming up out of hell to possess people. I don't think they have that freedom So I think some of the angels who possessed people at the time of the flood, when God destroyed the humans that they possessed, God sent those angels, those fallen angels, those demons down to Tartarus and confined them in chains to await the day of judgment at the end and then other ones who weren't involved in that or the ones that currently go around and they'll possess people today and we have an example in Matthew 8:29 where there were demons that it says and behold they cried out saying what have we to do with thee Jesus thou son of God art thou come hither to torment us before the time so They know that their judgment is sealed at the day of judgment, but when they see Jesus, they're like freaking out and they're probably thinking, are you going to send us to Tartarus and confine us to chains of darkness until the day of judgment? Are you going to torment us before the time? Because they certainly were, since they were possessing people, everyone that possesses people right now, God didn't spare the angels that sinned at the time of Noah, but God is kind of sparing the ones today, you know, letting them possess people without immediately confining them to Tartarus, but they know that he could, they deserve that.
1: Do you think part of that has to do with how, like, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us now? So there's that presence of God kind of on earth, like indwelling Christians, so there's kind of this constant presence of God, like, to kind of have that battle with demons too. Like, (laughs) It just seems like it's a little bit different since the Holy Spirit has come.
0: It could be an episode for another time as to address the question, can Christians be demon-possessed, which I think we both believe that they can't, you know, like actual believers. Mm -hmm. Not everyone who confesses to be a believer is actually one, but anyone who is a true believer, I don't think, can be possessed by a demon. They can be oppressed, but not possessed. Mm Mm-hmm. So,
1: what about the Nephilim?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like it seems like when we're discussing these theories, it's like we're stuck on trying to figure out who these sons of God and daughters of men are. And, you know, and then it's kind of like an afterthought. Wait, we got to get to these Nephilim. (laughs) So given how say the Septuagint translates in Genesis six, four, and in Numbers thirteen thirty-three, the Nephilim as Gigantes Giants are the Nephilim giants. So we go back to Numbers thirteen thirty-three, which these spies of israel spying out the land of canaan that they're supposed to conquer that's the promised land and they report back and and they say and there we saw the giants or literally the nephilim the sons of anak which come of the giants or the nephilim and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers and so we were in their sight So, they're totally claiming that what they call the Nephilim there in the land of Canaan were large people. So, were the Nephilim at the time of Noah large people? Were they what we could call giants? Well, what do you think, sweetheart?
1: Yes, I think so.
0: I would concur. I think that the Nephilim were physically large people. I know some people try to say giants in intellect and accomplishments. Well, possibly that too. But I think that they were giants. Now, perhaps they weren't 300 feet tall, as the Book of Enoch claims, because I know it seems like the Book of Enoch is really trying hard to take Greek mythology about the Titans and say, hey, here's where the Titans came from, (laughs) (laughs) because that would probably be the size of what you think the Titans were in Greek mythology. But I don't think that these Nephilim in Genesis 6, and especially in Numbers 13, were 300 feet tall. Now, the people referred to themselves as grasshoppers to them, but we can allow for exaggeration of language that way.
1: When you walk by even someone who's close to seven feet tall, you feel really small. (laughs) I could definitely see how, like, you're coming to this strange land trying to spy out and see, like, if this is, I mean, this is the land that God promised them, and they come up and they see these giants, like, even, you know, eight or nine feet would definitely be very intimidating. Oh, yeah. And if they have armor on, they have that huge wall. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just a lot of things that probably did make them feel oh, small. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, I, th- I agree with you that they probably weren't 300 feet tall, yeah. but... That would be actually a miracle if someone could be 300 feet tall just because of how your body works. But yeah, because you have a, would have to have a very large heart to have that tall of a body to be able to pump blood through that whole entire system. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, just thinking or, the medical reasons behind it.
0: Yeah, or you'd have to be somehow the offspring of angels and humans and stuff like that. But <laughs> So if we're saying that there were giants what were they if we're saying that the fallen angels likely demon-possessed people well then how does that produce giants well, the fallen angels that left their first estate could have used the Canite rulers as vessels to fulfill their desires with women, as we mentioned. And these demons possessing the rulers could have influenced them to take many wives, to bear many children, to build their own legacy and their army. So, you know, it wasn't just a harem for desires, but these wicked rulers, believing that they were gods... Wicked ruler theory also as believing they were gods and having the right to execute power they wanted to build up their legacy in their armies and I think it's also possible that the demons gave these rulers supernatural insight into things like genetics so that they engaged in selective breeding practices to produce offspring as tall and strong and adventurous as they could So they were really trying to expand their power and, They'll take any women that they chose, but they'd also try to select the most beautiful and even the tallest ones they want. And then, of their sons, they would prefer the taller, stronger ones to be the ones who would inherit stuff and get the women that they would want for them and stuff to produce tall sons and mighty sons and so on, like that. So, as far as the genetics that they had at the time, these wicked rulers through demon possession could have produced some. Pretty tall people, possibly Goliath-sized...
1: Sorry, this just reminded me of an ethics thing that we see now with genetic selection and with in vitro fertilization, where a lot of times some of the doctors or couples, they're looking at the genetics of this newly formed embryo in the petri dish and checking to see are there any genetic deformities or problems that we foresee, then we're going to go ahead and disregard this baby because it's developing already. Or also they do selective gender. So if the parents have two boys already and they want a girl, then any boys that have formed in that dish and are developing, then they'll go ahead and get rid of the boys Mm -hmm. as well. So you see that that selective disregarding human life is something that we see today too. And it's just on a different scale because we have more technology and things as well. But it's something that just infiltrates our society because of our evil wickedness. And we think that we have power to do that, power to have control over the blessing and the miracle of the life that God's given us.
0: Definitely. And we can see that the eugenics and all that stuff of the last century could have been very prominent, maybe even of the knowledge of it by an order of magnitude at the time of Noah. So, yeah, it's not far fetched to realize that they could have had some very tall, strong people just by that, with having many wives and many children. I speak to parents all the time who come up to me and they see what's happening, but they don't know what to do. And I just want to stand up and say, you can do this. Here is a solution. This is Yvette Hampton, host of the Schoolhouse Rocked podcast.
1: Join us each week for a new episode as we offer encouragement and resources on biblical discipleship from popular speakers and authors, as well as parents just like you and me. Find out more at schoolhouserocked.com or listen anywhere you find your favorite
0: podcast. So, what about the Nephilim of Numbers 13? Because, hey, if the Nephilim were at Genesis 6, what about what the spies called Nephilim in Numbers 13.33? So, we have a few possibilities to get to quickly. And one of the possibilities is that whatever the fallen angels did in Genesis 6 before the flood, other fallen angels could have done after the flood, And I see that E.W. Bollinger took this view and he says, quote, these came from a second eruption of fallen angels. And he uses after that as proof. So Genesis 6 mentions the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also after that. And so Bollinger took the view that other fallen angels after the flood intermarried and produced more Nephilim. And that's what the spies saw. Another possibility is that some of Noah's descendants after the flood became aware of some of the breeding and training practices of the rulers before the flood and revived the equivalent of the Nephilim. So it's kind of taking from our theory there about how they produced kind of taller Goliath-sized people and that they recovered that knowledge and produced them. Sweetheart, what's another uh, possibility for the Nephilim in Numbers 13?
1: Yeah, so another possibility could be that the spies who gave the report may have exaggerated about what they saw because they were afraid of the warrior might of the Anakim. And kind of like we were talking about earlier, that if they're trying to seek out this land and all of a sudden they see, wait, there's warriors here. There's a huge wall here. We feel like we're so tiny compared (laughs) to all of what they have. And we've been wandering in the wilderness and we have nothing. Like they probably did feel really small. So that could have been part of it that it was a little Mm. exaggerated.
0: So like they could have exaggerated the size of these people. And by calling them Nephilim, like, these are these Nephilim that you've heard about in the legends. (laughs) We saw them. And then finally, a possibility is that since the Anakim were really tall, as the the Bible talks about, the spies called them Nephilim because they reminded them of the stories of the Nephilim from before the flood. So it's just because as the spy says, and we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak were the Nephilim. That doesn't mean that these were literally Nephilim, but they were similar to the Nephilim in Genesis 6. These people reminded them of Nephilim. Nephilim, but they weren't actually Nephilim as the fallen angel, the second round of fallen angels doing the same thing for which others were confined to Tartarus for, did it yet again and produced more actual Nephilim. Like maybe these were, they just called them Nephilim because they reminded them of it. So there's a website called Precept Austin, headed by a guy named Bruce Hurt. In his Numbers chapter 13 commentary, he says, quote, reference to Nephilim does not mean that these giants survived the flood. The Israelites had surely heard about the Nephilim that lived before the flood and they identified these giants with them, unquote. And so, yeah. I saw other people say it's kind of like referring to someone as like a boogeyman or (laughs) something like that. They were Nephilim, you know, like they remind you of the Nephilim you read about, like, ooh, really scary people. They're Nephilim. They're giant. So, that's our theory that we're going to stick with, that we propose that the realities of the society, the wicked rulers and the Sethite view were both true at that time. I think they had to be, to some extent, regardless of what the sons of God refers to directly. Wicked rulers abuse people. The Sethites intermarried with Cainites. And then fallen angels could have been involved by means of demon possession. And they produced what we call the Nephilim, who actually were physically large, but not 300 feet tall, but they were like Goliath by means of demonic knowledge of genetics and stuff like that. So I think it's a plausible theory. What do you think, sweetheart? (laughs)
1: Thank you for doing all this study and research to put this together because I think it makes a lot of sense.
0: And with all that said, I would say, is the debate settled on this issue? Far from it. Even with all this... I cannot be dogmatic about it. I merely present this for your study and entertainment and, and enlightenment. And I hope that this episode and these series of episodes were a good study through Genesis 6 who are the sons of God, who are the Nephilim. And so we hope that you will continue to stay tuned for more episodes of Truth Espresso. And God bless.